we're transitioning from a series on worship into a series on thanksgiving. They're really very closely related to one another. Thanksgiving uh, is a part of worship. It's an extension of worship. But I want to talk about thanksgiving from the perspective of suffering. Okay, so my hope today is that we would leave encouraged and built up. Not like, man, Pastor David's depressed. (laughs) Right? My hope is that if you find yourself in a season of struggle or difficulty or pain, that you could find encouragement in your current suffering and in your current pain and in your current difficulty. But if you're not, that you can take some tools on so that when that season of trouble comes, you're prepared for it. So I've titled today's message, Thanksgiving on Trial. I'm not talking about Thanksgiving, the holiday that we're celebrating this Thursday. Okay, you ready? And so every time I say Thanksgiving, I know you're thinking turkey. Or sweet potato. I could talk about food all day, but I'm not talking about the holiday. This isn't a political thing. This isn't the, the, the meaning of Thanksgiving, the holiday. It's about Thanksgiving, the worship on trial. We work really hard to make Thanksgiving, the holiday, very, very special. And we create all of these things. And sometimes it's just tradition and we enjoy tradition and we like tradition, but sometimes we do it to cover up something that's, that's underneath. And sometimes we, we work so hard to have the turkey just right and to have the cranberry stuff just right and the sweet potatoes just right to cover up that things aren't just right. And that's why we get so mad when it's not just right. Right? Is it really that big a deal that the turkey was dry? No. But there'll be a knockdown drag out about it. If that gravy is lumpy. <laughs> or you know what I mean? You guys, you, your families aren't like that. Mine isn't either. <laughs> Thanksgiving is a form of worship. And it's not something that should be done through pretense or performing or pretending and layering things on top to make it appear a certain way. It's something that reflects a condition of the heart, a position or an orientation of our, of our soul, of our passions, of our desires, of our values. And in this area, we are enormously blessed, and I think it confuses our thanksgiving. We live in an area and a time where most of the people in this room will have three meals today and extra meals And you're going to go home tonight or have a place to sleep tonight that's safe, that's warm, and will be there tomorrow. Now, unless there's somebody in here I'm not aware of, I I know that to be largely the condition of, of our church as a whole, but I know that some people have need. But even the people in our congregation who have need are wealthy in comparison to the condition of the world in a global sense we're all very very wealthy just by having a few dollars in our pocket and some clothes and we got to choose what we we wore to church this morning that you had to choose which pair of shoes 
which pair of nice shoes were we going to leave in the closet? And what can happen is sometimes we can become so thankful for the things that, like JC was talking about, it's in God we trust, but it's on money, and it's really, it, it's sneaky, and we start to trust the money. But we start to be thankful just for the things and not for the God that gives it to us. All of the things indeed that we have are our stewardship and it's important that we steward it well. It's important that we steward our money well, that we steward our resources well, our time well, our benefits well. It's a stewardship and it's a gift from God and it's a, pl- a privilege and a, it's a privilege to be able to manage this and steward this and to take care of it. But the point of being a steward is that it's not really even yours. It actually belongs to someone else. It's just your responsibility to manage it. I'm spending a lot of time on that because certainly God has blessed us and we have very tangible things in our lives that we can point at and say, God has blessed me in these ways. And we're going to go through that exercise, maybe you will on Thursday, where it's you go around and you say what you're thankful for. And we're going to list many of the things that we have. Many of the opportunities that we have. Many of the possessions that we have. And it, it's easy for it to take the wrong place in, in our heart and mind. But that got me asking, what happens when the things that provoke my thanksgiving are stolen? What happens when the thing that makes us so thankful is distant or vague or like you can't hold on to it anymore or you've lost it or you're in fear of losing it? Does Thanksgiving still rise up in your soul? Your bright-eyed girl is now a red-eyed Your stud of a boyfriend, five years into marriage, is now a dud. (laughs) And I only say that because it happened in my marriage. (laughs) She put on baby weight and kept losing it. I put on baby weight and kept gaining it. And actually, every time she lost it, I found it. (laughs) And I just carried it around. But we're working on that, right? As a congregation, we're going to be healthier a year from today. A healthier a year from today. Yeah? Thank you. I ate chicken wings last night. I ate chicken wings twice this week. That's still healthier than I was last year. Come on, progress. One step forward, two steps back. Two steps forward, one step back. How's that? We're going to put Thanksgiving on trial. And to do so, I want to look at the, the account of Job. <laughs> like, Thanksgiving and Job? <laughs> Who is this guy? We're going to look at Job chapter 1, verses 13 through 22. If you turn there in your Bible or get there on your phone, I want to tell you a little bit about Job. 
Job lived around the same time as Abraham. We believe that just by the, the clues in the, in the book of Job, the way he referred to God, the name that he used to describe God, speaks to that same era, speaks that he's probably an Israelite. We're not sure who wrote it. We think it might be the friend who came and actually brought encouraging perspective at the end, Elihu. It may have been him, but we're not certain of that. The book of Job is in the Bible. It's, it's right before Psalms. It's actually with a group of books that we call the books of wisdom that contains the book of Job, the book of Psalms, which is, you know, worship and praise to God. And there's certainly wisdom and worshiping God. And it has instruction. Follow my instruction. I'll show you the way to life. How does a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word in Psalm 119, right? So it's like there's instruction in godly living, and that's why it's called a, a wisdom book. And then we have Proverbs, which is largely the sayings of Solomon, who was considered to be the wisest man who's ever lived, and we can look at it, and it puts those fortune cookie sayings to shame, right? And then we got Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a little bit of a different turn, um, it shows what happens when wisdom becomes unhinged or unhooked from the, the, the power and the wisdom of God. And it's kind of a depressing read. So if you struggle with depression, read that with like the book of John at the same time. <laughs> and then uh, the Song of Solomon, which will just make you blush. But we won't go. <laughs> uh, Job was perhaps the wealthiest man in the region at that time. He had lots of children and countless animals. Not countless, they counted them for us, but you get the point. Um, and he had many reasons to be thankful. But accumulation of resources or possessions doesn't produce thanksgiving. Thanksgiving comes from a different place. Accumulation of thanksgiving builds up a different muscle than thanksgiving. It feels the same. It feels real similar, and it does for a little while, but the way that you know that it's not really Thanksgiving is because when it's taken away, you follow it. Sometimes it, so, so I would call the, the Thanksgiving that comes with the accumulation of possessions, maybe uh, I wrote down a temporary gratitude, short-term thankfulness, but it's not a, it's not a condition of Thanksgiving. So let's jump in and, and look at what happened in the life of Job, this rich man who is about to have uh, the worst day ever. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the uh, savings fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans have formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people. And they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. 
The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Father, as we go into, uh, as we go into this Thanksgiving season, into this holiday season, I ask that you would put everything that we have and everything that we do into a heavenly perspective. We thank you for your words that you give us in scripture. We thank you that you express your heart to us and you express your mind to us so that we can know you, so that we can serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can see this isn't just Thanksgiving on trial. This is Thanksgiving under full assault, isn't it? As I already said, my goal today is to equip you for future suffering or struggle or pain or encourage you in current suffering or struggle or pain. My first encouragement is that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. That in all the blessings that we enjoy, especially in this region of the world, in this time in the world, that we keep the main thing, the main thing, because it's too easy for a house or a car or a degree or, or a promotion or money or resources or status or fill in the blank, a relationship, right? What's your thing? It's too easy for these things to sit down on the throne of our heart and begin to direct our lives and begin to define our purpose and, and, and direct our decision-making and become the thing that we're serving instead of allowing those things to serve us for God's purposes. None of these things gave us life. None of these things can give us life. They give temporary satisfaction at best and we should certainly enjoy it. I'm not saying you can't go to Top Golf and go slap some golf balls off the thing and, you know, right, laugh and, you know, clown around and have a good time. I'm not, that's not what's being said. But what's being said is when that thing takes the throne of your heart and you begin to live for entertainment instead of living for the glory of God, it's a sign that we're moving in the wrong direction. It's hard to keep the main thing the main thing and you'd, you could say that even in our church service it's hard because we compete for your time. We have a session of the, of the service dedicated to telling you things that you can do with your time. It's called announcements. Right? So even in church you, you come in and we're worshiping together and we're having this moment and we're like hey, keep the main thing the main thing but here's some events. <laughs> For that reason, we work really hard to make sure that our events will be things that help encourage you and inspire you to keep the main thing the main thing. We don't have a women's event just for the sake of having a women's event. Nor a men's event for the sake of a men's event. Nor service for the sake of service. But we do these things because we believe that by doing these things together, that we can encounter Christ with one another. And we can grow in the knowledge of him. And we can experience an authentic community that's Christ-centered so that we're all encouraging and sharpening and training one another that as we rub up against one another at Top Golf or at a women's event and we create this friction in small groups and showing up at classes that we will be sharpened and we will be refined so that we can serve God more effectively and more wholeheartedly. Are you with me? So there, it's difficult to keep the main thing the main thing, but what is that main thing? And the main thing is Jesus. 
It's him who created everything. It's him. It's he who created the world and everything in it for him and through him. It's he who saw us running and rebelling and rejecting his kingdom and his purposes. And it's he who came down and lived among us so that we could see God in the flesh. It was he who died on our behalf so that we could experience the fullness of life. Jesus is the main thing. You know, not even emissions or evangelism is the main thing. I'm probably committing some sort of heresy or error. But it's, but it's, you can go out and talk to people all day long but lose sight of the main thing. I evangelized. I talk about it a lot. I evangelized a lot in college. Really, I was telling people how much more I knew than them about Jesus. In engaging people with even the Bible, I was making myself the main thing instead of Jesus the main thing. I was making how good I had become the main thing instead of how good Jesus has been to me the main thing. You with me? I think we, it's, easy, it's easy to stumble into. Now, I'm not saying at Thanksgiving on Thursday, if you say what you're thankful for, you don't have to be like, Jesus. That's the main thing, y'all. You know, just shut down the conversation. Who gets to go after that? You know, somebody's going to be like, mashed potatoes. Uh. Right? Go ahead. Be thankful for mashed potatoes. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Be thankful for the things that we have, but don't let those things sit on the throne of our hearts. Let's be thankful for Jesus who's entrusted us with them and, and has given us the, the ability to enjoy those things. Isn't that amazing? He gave us the ability to enjoy things and then gave us things to enjoy. That's amazing to me. Things like chicken wings. Nachos. Thank you, Tony. It's discipleship, y'all. Jesus is alive today. He's alive today, not just on Easter Sunday. <laughs> Jesus is alive tomorrow. He rose from the dead never to die again. You know, if we had a miracle, if we went into the hospital and cleaned it out, like rose people from the dead, that'd be pretty remarkable, but they're all going to die again. So it's kind of remarkable. Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. I'm just saying, he's alive today. And he's on the throne. And he is able and willing and desires to transform us into his likeness. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, so let's keep moving. The second thing is to adopt a kingdom perspective. Kingdom perspective. And what I mean by kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. If Christ is king, then everything under his authority, under his rule, is his kingdom. So we are his people. He is our king. He sits on the throne, not just up in heaven, but on our hearts. And he directs us and guides our attention and our affection. I'm excited about standing before God but I'm also a little fearful of that moment. A lot fearful of that moment. Because in that moment, 
I know that he's going to be far more pure than I could have, uh, than I've ever imagined. He's more holy than I ever imagined. He's more righteous and more powerful than I've ever imagined. If simply because of the limitations of, of human thinking, right? The constraints of this, but I also fill it with all sorts of junk, like surfing the internet, right? It's filled with junk, Facebook memes. <laughs> Anybody else, right? news headlines and information and stats and all this irrelevant stuff clogging my thinking so I can't even think clearly about the holiness of God. So it's going to be a fearful moment. It's going to be an extraordinary, beautiful moment. But I think it's going to be a little bit like how we look back on high school 20 years out. And you go, oh my. (laughs) what was I thinking like I wasn't thinking what would you say to a classroom if you had the opportunity right now to go into a high school classroom what advice would you give what would you tell them to try and help them not make the mistakes that you made I would say what you think is cool now is not so cool. You look foolish. <laughs> and that's okay because I looked foolish too. I'm not on any moral high ground here, right? I'm not standing up on some box shouting people down. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> You're foolish like all of us have been. But the things that you think are cool and the things that you're valuing now, I want to warn you that six years out, six years down this path, six years down this road, the bridge is out. And you can change roads right now more easily than then. You know, don't you just wish that you had known that the bridge was out on on those foolish relationships? Wouldn't you wish that you had known that the bridge was out on the, in the late night partying and the drinking? Nobody did that. Too soon? Don't you wish that you had known that the bridge was out with that attitude? With that laziness? With unforgiveness? With cattiness? Don't you wish you would have known that the bridge was out? Because we gain perspective as we mature and as we grow. What's great about the kingdom perspective is we don't have to guess what it is that God's after. He's given it to us in his word. We're not going to get to heaven and it's going to be something completely different from what he's talked about and what he's demonstrated in Jesus. We're not going to get to heaven and he's going to be like, surprise! It's not really about that. It's this thing over here that I didn't tell you about. We don't have to worry about him doing that and like pulling a, a, like a switch and bait on us. He expresses what's important to him, to him and to his kingdom in his word. We can know it. And I think it's just gonna be, it's gonna be realizing that he was serious about the things that he said. And he was more serious about it than we thought he was. 
we're going to see that he really does love marriage. Because he created it. With a distinct purpose. To train us. And to show us the love that God has for his, for his people. That a groom has for his bride. I think we're going to learn that he's very serious about life. He died so that we could have it eternally. We're going to see that he's serious about humility. There's one God, and it's him. Thank God. going to say I'm real serious about that gluttony thing and that gossip thing and that truth thing and don't let the fact that I glossed over it lessen its impact he's serious that he does draw near to the broken hearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit that he's near to those who are suffering that he has a plan and a purpose for our life that he desires for us to live for his glory and to reflect his name and to, to all, all over the whole face of the earth. That he wants us to forgive. That he wants us to repent and turn from doing things our way and to surrender to his, even when we don't feel like it. Kingdom perspective is where we take on the values and priorities of God. We don't have to guess what those are. He makes that plain to us in his word. The next step is to grieve appropriately. Get mad. Go through the stages of grief. Hurt, cry. But don't curse God. See, Job understood that God was sovereign and that God was good. Job understood that God was doing something beyond, beyond his comprehension and that didn't make God, that didn't change his goodness or his sovereignty when, when evil had befallen him. We can be sorrowful and we can cry and we can be honest. If you're suffering or struggling, the goal isn't to come into church and act like everything's fine. It's to ask for encouragement, to ask for prayer, and to ask for faith. Job's friends knew enough to at least come alongside him, and they sat quietly for a moment, and they did well. That's so closely tied to the next thing, which is to shut down the propaganda machine. The, the devil... Is real, right? And he exists to kill, steal, and destroy. He's called the accuser of the brethren, and I believe that's because he, he's constantly accusing in three ways. He's accusing us to God. He's accusing God to us. And he's accusing us to us. He accuses us to God. And he did this in the life of Job. This man doesn't love you. He just likes you because of the stuff. 
he's not truly a man who loves you and respects you. He just respects you because he's got this stuff. And for reasons we'll understand in heaven, God said, go ahead and touch the stuff. My guy's faithful. So God let him touch the stuff. He accuses God to you. God loved you. He wouldn't let you hurt like this. If God loved you, you wouldn't experience this pain. You'd be healed by now. You'd be better by now. If God loved you, there wouldn't be suffering in the world or pain in the world. Your husband wouldn't be such a knucklehead. See, I, I can go that way, but if I go the other way, it's dangerous territory, isn't it, JC? That's wisdom. I spent all that time keeping my mouth shut. That was not a loaded pause. I was biting my tongue. <laughs> Took 11 years. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> Megan's like, good job. <laughs> sorry, guys, sorry. But God accused, God accuses, I mean, the enemy accuses God to us. It's how he did it with Adam and Eve. God's just trying to keep good stuff from you. He's trying to keep this from you. If you eat this, you're going to know everything. You're going to be like God. He's keeping this from you. How wicked is God? He's keeping you from the knowledge of good and evil, which was a gift. But he'll even take the gifts and make it look like he'll, he'll twist it and manage to accuse God through it. I'll say that even, even Job's friends, as the suffering continued and healing didn't come as quickly as, as somebody would have expected, they started, they started being like, dude, what's up with you? You messed stuff up. God's condemning you. Because of things you've done. He's cursing you. What did you do? Just repent. Just get, just get over yourself. Sometimes we need to just keep our mouth shut. Talk about it. I'll, I'll, I'll build that out in a moment. But accusing God. Did it with Adam and Eve, and he, and he, he does, it, does it today in our lives, and then he accuses us to one another. In the beginning of Job's trial, his friends sat with him as it continued, or assault, right? His trial, as his, the assault continued, they came to the conclusion it was a judgment from God. Job, you must have done something wrong. I said sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut, and, and what I mean by that is that you know, sometimes the least helpful thing we can offer is speculation about what God might be doing. Sometimes that's the least helpful thing that we can offer someone. Oh, well, it's just making your faith stronger. Thanks for that. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Let's try that out on you, like right now. <laughs> How close? To, no, no. <laughs>
We shut down the propaganda machine when we, when we, as friends of people who are suffering, listen before we speak. And you can allow somebody just to talk about the difficulty of their situation instead of trying to solve the situation. Sometimes there's a place for offering help. Sometimes there's a place for offering truth, but sometimes truth is just like a big metal bat to the face, isn't it? Oh, that was graphic. I've got a wild imagination. But it's like, yeah, it's true, but it's not necessarily necessary. We don't have to say everything that's true. Especially if we're not certain of it. Some truths just don't need to be stated. Maybe not yet. Some of them you can just wait a year. And not in an I told you so fashion but like a looking back perspective kind of fashion. Can you believe how far God has brought you? Can you believe the endurance that you have now? Can you believe how big your faith is now? Paul tells the church in Ephesus that the way to do this is to stick to encouragement. In Ephesians 5, 19 through 21, he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything. It's challenging language, isn't it? Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Speaking to each other from the word and encouraging each other with prayer and, and praying over one another and inspiring one another in the moment and just saying, I'm here. Lifting one another up in prayer, though it feels like a passive thing. It's not like my thoughts are with you. Prayer moves the heart of God. Your thoughts are ridiculous. <laughs> if I'm going through something and you find out I'm going through something, I would like you to please pray for me. And, and get heaven moving on my behalf. I know the kind of thoughts we have. And it's mixed in with all sorts of weird thoughts. We don't, I don't need those. I need your prayer. And we need each other's prayer. You know, maybe the most helpful thing that could be said to a friend in a time of trial or struggle is, you want some food? <laughs> Brought you some food. Let's go get some food. <laughs> yeah, food. Just setting the table to, to be with one another. Setting the table so that you can encourage and inspire one another so that you can pray for those who are suffering. As it turns out, Job would ultimately have everything restored to him. God would restore things to him and he had a plentiful life again. Like I said earlier about the hospital, 
all of those things were temporary anyway. And I imagine by the time that Job got it back, he was largely disinterested in it. Thanks, God. But I don't need this. Paul said, I have learned to live with much and with little, to be content in all things. But every miracle, with the exception of one, is temporary and only for this life. The miracle of salvation is for all of eternity. It can never be stolen. It can never be taken. The gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus is the one miracle that can never be stolen. And so it's the one thing, it's the main thing that we ought to stand on. It's the one thing, it's the main thing that we should return to and find our purpose in and find our satisfaction in and find all of our thanksgiving in. And the person and the purposes of Jesus Christ. Because he alone can give us eternal life. Suffering is a difficult reality of this world. And, and, you know, something that's interesting about the book of Job, they think it was the first book written that's a part of Scripture. Obviously, creation chronologically happened first, but it was the first book written. And to me, that signals that it's been a question that man has wrestled with for thousands and thousands of years about this issue of struggling. That this struggle was documented before creation was documented. Indicates to me that maybe struggle is our greatest existential question that we, that we, that we have trouble with. But we find ourselves on these cycles where we, you can jokingly say that you're either going into one, you're in one, or you're coming out of one at varying levels of difficulty and, and complexity and pain. And some of them just stick with us for the rest of our life. But I do know that God brings comfort to those who mourn. That he draws close to those who are broken hearted and who are hurting. And I know that he meant what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm just going to turn there real quick. I'm not, I don't want to quote from the book of estimations. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy.
Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. That includes the enemy accusing you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they prosecuted the prophets who came before you. 